Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God, and uh, we're following up on our show this morning that uh, where we talked about everything from the shutdown to the riots to who killed uh, uh, Mr. Floyd. And uh, there was a question that came up on the, I didn't see it at the time because I don't look at <laughs> the chat rooms while I'm trying to do the show. But uh, there was a question at the time that arose when I was talking about the fact that the coroner says there were no injuries that could cause death and uh, that he did have coronavirus at the time. He was, uh, had all kinds of drugs in him, fentanyl, PCPs, uh, meth, uh, marijuana. I mean, there was a lots of drugs. He actually appears that there were drugs in the car and in his possession when he was arrested. He was arrested for uh, counterfeiting and refusing to return uh, the products that he purchased with counterfeit money. And he was also acting in a bizarre and uh, disorderly way that uh, complaints were coming in from the people that had interaction with him and the police answered that call. But it does not appear that he sustained any injuries in the neck, that he was not choked, that he was, was not, there was no bruising in his uh, skull or anything like that, that he was simply being held there till an ambulance could come. He did resist arrest, but somebody said, well, he didn't resist arrest. He just had claustrophobia. Well, I can guarantee he's done years in jail for assault with the deadly weapon, for robbing uh, with a weapon. And uh, so he he's had ser- several serious charges against him over the years and, and did time for it. So you can't get out of jail or going to jail because you have claustrophobia. When they detained him, he was already in a car, and they wanted to get him in a backseat of a patrol car, and he would not go. You can't say, I have claustrophobia, so you can't arrest me. But they were going to transport him in an ambulance. Uh, not that he was incapacitated, but uh, that he did. There was some blood on his lip that he got bruised during the uh, altercation when he was fighting with four cops and refusing to get into the car. They didn't club him or anything. He hid himself on the ground. But again, he was heavily drugged. He, you can clearly see that he was walking around in a daze even when he was handcuffed. But when the media says he did not resist, that's a lie. And the point of our broadcast is not to cast aspersions on Mr. Floyd. We're not exonerating the police if they did something wrong. I'm not convinced they did anything terribly wrong. That it is very difficult to arrest somebody, especially somebody who's way bigger than you, who's not cooperating, who's fighting you. They can't just say, oh, well, you're claustrophobic. I guess you can go home and we can just go do something else. They have to arrest him. That is their job. That is what they are sworn to do. And he was not cooperating. And in the process, he died. Did he die because there was a knee on his neck holding him down so he didn't get up and struggle with the officers anymore? No. It doesn't appear that that's the case. He died because of drug use, bad heart, all kinds of reasons. Over 100,000 people die every every year 
in the custody of doctors. And they die as a result, 100,000 die as a result of mistakes that doctors make. Did the police officers make a mistake? Should they have done more? They, they knew minutes away there'd be EMTs there that could attend to them. Just minutes. And he wasn't saying he was having a heart attack. He said he couldn't breathe. And they said, well, you are breathing. You're talking. You're fine. Just relax. Don't struggle anymore. And there was no digging of the knee into the neck or anything like that that people are saying. He's just there if the guy begins to struggle. Could they roll him over on the side? Yeah, maybe they could have. Maybe that would have been a better choice. That's a mistake. One of them thought that was a good idea. The other one said, no, let's just keep him here. Because we don't want to go through that wrestling again. Somebody can get hurt if we go through the wrestling again. So, you know, it's really easy to sit back in your armchair and hate cops. But when they're all gone, you're going to have a lot of trouble on your hands. (laughs) But, as I was saying in this morning's program, I don't think police are the answer. They're not the solution. I don't think you should defund them. And that nobody is actually going to defund them. They'll, They'll make it look like they do. But... Cops make them money. They have transferred the duty of police officers to keep the peace to create revenue. And that's what they do in most cities is they create revenue. Small towns, maybe not so much. But in the big cities, there are a number of big cities, mostly democratically controlled, that are using the police to gather revenue with fees and fines and and uh, court cases against them where they just have to pay And it's just extracting blood out of the people. And it's not the goal of most police officers, but they have been hijacked by socialist Democrats who want to use the police to gather money. Now, to be honest with you, the Republicans probably aren't much better. Any big city, that's what they do. But what I'm concerned with is the gullibility of American people and of the people worldwide because they're fed a line that's not true. They don't take the time to find out what the whole truth is and they go off on actions and reactions that is actually doing more damage to the people and creating a scenario that's going to create a loss of more and more freedom and liberty. God wants you to be free. God wants you to be at liberty. That is what he designed you to be. Seth knew that, Abel knew that, Moses knew that. Are men the property of the state or are they free souls under God? That's the battle that continues throughout the world today. That's the line from the beginning of the movie Moses from Cecil B. DeMille. And that is actually what the Bible is all about. That's what Paul meant. He didn't say obey the government authorities in Romans 13. He said let every man be subject to the higher right to choose. Well, who is the higher and most prior right to choose? You do as individuals. That's what God wants you to be able to choose. But if you will not listen to him, if you want to rule over your neighbor and hire men to rule over your neighbor, you will be ruled over. If you want to take a bite out of your neighbor so that you can have benefits, you will be devoured. If you want to be slothful in the ways of righteousness, you will go under tribute. If you want to engage in covetous practices of the socialists, of the progressives, of the communists of the world, who want to take from their neighbor, even from the minorities uh, of the country, from anybody, in order that you will have benefits, 
at their expense. You want to create a system that does that, a structure, a system that does that. You will be under that authority. You will go under. Because as you judge, so shall ye be judged. That's just the way it works. Now, knowing that, now applying that to everyday life, we look out there and we see government shutting down worldwide economies, causing billions, trillions of dollars in losses, putting your children trillions of dollars in debt. Why? Why are they doing this? Well, it isn't the coronavirus. It's something else. And I mentioned it this morning, but I didn't tell you exactly what it was. And I'm not going to tell you. Because you need to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Organize yourselves in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. For the purpose of caring about your neighbor's needs as much as you care about your own. I would just... uh, a little bit before the show began, I was talking to one of the uh, top people on the committee that organizes disasters in the state of Oregon. And uh, they have been a part of all the major plans, the, including the federal plans to make central parts of Oregon, I won't say where, as you know, uh, central uh, HQ headquarters in the case of the giant subduction quake that will devastate most of the West Coast. That will inevitably come, whether it's going to come next year or five years or ten years or after the Chinese invade or whatever. Uh, it will come. And they're making the best laid plans of mice and men to prepare for that. Most of you will not make it. <laughs> probably, if you're living on the, on the coast, you probably won't make it at all. I mean, we're talking the serious devastation. It comes every 300 years usually. Uh, we know that over the last thousands of years, we have these subduction quakes on the West Coast. We haven't had one since before Lewis and Clark. We're 75 years overdue, according to the normal schedule. It will come. But there are other disasters that will come. But right now, we've seen the disaster of the coronavirus, which is somewhat self-inflicted. And we can learn from that. Learn What, what can we learn from that? Uh, the disasters in South Africa, I want to mention South Africa. It's unbelievable what's going on there. People are starving in their homes. Mostly the white people, because white people don't get any aid now in North Africa, uh, in South Africa. They, uh, only the black people get aid. And so the white people are being forced by that vacuum of the government not providing aid for those people who are being devastated by the shutdown there. It's a very militant shutdown there. So they've had to gather together and get food and buy food and transport food to the needy of their society. They have to do it themselves. And uh, it's because there's this huge hate that is coming from a small section of the blacks in South Africa that are gaining power and control. Because often the ones who hate the most are the ones who want the most control. They want the most power. That's just the way it's been. For doesn't matter race or anything. It's just been the way it is for tens of thousands of years. It's part of man's nature. So they've had to learn to take care of one another. That's a good thing. Because that's what, you know, I actually am quoting. That, that's something that we always hear Bernie Sanders say. But that's a good thing. We have to stand in line for food. That's a good thing. <laughs> well, well, no, it's not a good thing. 
because the people standing in line are not standing in line. They're asking men who exercise authority to provide them with food by taking away from somebody else. A good thing would be that people got together and learned to care about one another and they helped one another. When somebody was short of food, they came and they had a daily ministration based on faith, hope, and charity. That would be a good thing. To have a daily ministration based on force and violence breeds force and violence. And it will eventually subvert your nation to a tyranny. And that is not a new idea that is well known throughout history, but you haven't been taught history for a hundred years in America. So you don't know these things. So we talk about them. So it, we went through a lot of this this morning. We go through this on a regular basis. But now where is this going to take us? What are we going to do with this? What are we going to... Uh, how do, how, where, where is the solution at in all this? So I wrote a number of articles and they're all up on preparing you. And we're going to try to get them up on hisholychurch.org. And we're going to try to put audios with as many of them as possible so that you can begin to learn what nobody is willing to teach you in your churches, in your schools, certainly in the media. So we're the voice of one crying in the wilderness to make straight the way of the Lord. And we're showing you how it works. Now, you just have to decide whether you're going to do the work to really see what's going on. So, on the page I have that is shut down at preparing you, you can search shut down at preparing you, the search engine up in the right-hand corner. I I got all the way down to a section called resistance is futile. Because God does not want you to fight against the government. That is That is futile. He doesn't want you to make, wage war against Caesar. You be friends with the unrighteous mammon, but you have to repent and think differently. Thinking differently will cause you to be different. And uh, so anyway, there's a number of quotes there, but in, eventually I got down to, uh, you know, I can predict uh, the future happiness for America if they can prevent the government from wasting the labors of the people under the pretense of taking care of them. He can predict the future of America. If they can do that. Well, you didn't do that. The coronavirus wasted your labor. put Locked you down for months. And under the pretense of taking care of you. And that's Thomas Jefferson said that. Well, what what's the result of that? Well, I'll leave you. To, you can go look that quote up and find out what he said next. Uh, Edmund Burke, who really was a smart guy. He said, the only thing needed for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. There's a lot of good men out there and they're trying to figure out what to do and that's what we need to talk to you about. What you can do. And of course, one of the things you should do is sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands because we're not going to tell everybody on the radio what to do. We're going to tell people who sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands what to do. We're not going to provide loaves and fishes for people who won't sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Jesus Christ wouldn't and we're not going to. If you sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands with the Spirit of Christ in you, which is the Spirit of sacrifice and caring about others, then we can tell you all the things that we haven't told you so far. <laughs> now, if you really sit down and dedicate yourself, we won't have to tell you because you will realize what's going on. You will begin to put the pieces of the puzzle. We, we leave little breadcrumbs around, but we tell you enough to know what the next step is, which is to gather to gather with the intent of Christ, in the way of Christ. So I have another section there that we were just going to get started on, which is the solution scene. And you can go read the whole articles, but I'm just 
touching on it because I've, I've got pages and pages now that I've put together to kind of lead you through this step by step. And we just can't get to them all. We won't get to them all today. We'll barely finish this page today. Neither the Constitution nor the government is create, uh, it created, the Constitution created the government, made America great. Now that's a, that's a huge statement, little tiny short line. The Constitution was not created by God. It's not a biblical document. We've explained why. There's five things you have to have in a Constitution to be biblical. Because the Bible tells you to write down these five things in a Constitution if you're going to have a government that can exercise authority. It tells you that. Explains that to you. You go listen to a lot of ministers. They don't even know where that's at. They can't even tell you. We tell people all the time, but I'm not telling you now. If you want to find out, join the network and ask somebody there because a lot of them already know. And we already have articles on it and everything. But America is great because she is good. If America ceases to be good, then America will cease to be great. Have you ceased to be good? Yes. When did you cease to be good? Well, there's so many different places where you started moving away from what is righteous to what is unrighteous. It's hard to know where to begin. And I could give you a big long list. But when you began to engage in covetous practices to obtain benefits at the expense of your neighbor, it was pretty much all downhill from there because that's not what made America great. America used to build schools, build roads, build hospitals, build churches, build prisons with all voluntary funds, not taxation. Voluntary funds. They took care of the needy of society. They protected the needy of society. And they did it through faith, hope, and charity. And that's what makes a nation great. Especially if they do it with the robust spirit of Christ. What makes a society great? But the goodness of the individuals who populate society. What binds a free society so that it may remain free? So that we'll be able to stand and remain steadfast and exist in the face of adversity? What binds a society so that it remains strong as a society, as a nation? Contracts? Covenants? Constitutions? No. Not in any way, shape, or form. It's the thing that binds us, which is love and hope and faith and trust in one another. Brotherhood. Fraternity, as the French would say. Those who have an eye for their neighbor's freedom as much as they have for their own may be free. But those who have eyes for the office of power over Others cannot see where they are going, for they do not understand that the love of power is the demon of men. That is the truth. The love of power is the demon of men. And I, of course, I'm quoting uh, Frederick Nietzsche again. Now, I'm not a fan of Frederick Nietzsche. The guy went nuts. But he did look into the abyss. He did see a lot of things. And he saw a lot of things and he didn't know where to hang them. There were also, he got involved with drugs and, and prostitutes and, and all the other things because people put him up on a pedestal and he had some money and he got involved with things he shouldn't have get involved with. And eventually he went a little nuts. But he was a genius. 
when he still had it together, but he didn't keep it together. And America was great when it still had it together, but it hasn't kept it together because it has strayed from the formula of righteousness. Nietzsche had said, Not necessity, but desire. No, the love of power is the demon of man. Let them have everything, health, food, a place to live, entertainment. They are and remain unhappy and low spirit for the demon waits and waits and will be satisfied. There's never enough. That's why rich men always want more. They always want more because they think money makes them happy and to get more money will make them even happier. This theme of loving power, like loving the mammon of unrighteousness. What is the mammon of unrighteousness? We actually have a live link on that that page that will take you to an article on mammon. So you can find out once and for all what mammon is. Mammon is from an Aramaic word that means entrusted wealth. It's when you take your wealth and you become a commonwealth with everybody else. Not a commonwealth. The phrase commonwealth can have a couple of different meanings. But it's like you all have one purse. And the Bible talks about that. I'm sure I've got links on that page to our articles on one purse. Because it says in the Bible that the one to have one purse runs towards evil. Runs towards death. And uh, that's what mammon is. It's a trust. And, and we've got articles up uh, and chapters of the book Covenants of the Gods. Which shows you that the creation of the Federal Reserve Trust was the creation of the, it would lead to the creation of the largest trust in the history of the world. The largest trust in the world. And a day, a financial day of reckoning would soon come. And that's partly why we've had the coronavirus shutdown, but I'm not going to give you any more details than that. But it doesn't really matter. We had it. And we have it still. And millions upon millions upon millions of people will suffer because of it. Uh, tens of thousands more people will die from the coronavirus shutdown than from the coronavirus now should we have had it I don't know some people think that was a good idea not because of the virus but because of the real reason I'm not sure that it is but I know what the real solution is and the more we individually choose to think a different way which is repentance and follow after that other way that way of Christ that way of the early church the better off we will be. So the unrighteous mammon has repeated itself throughout the Testament since money is just a form of power. Even Christ was tempted with power. He's tempted, but he didn't fall prey to the temptation. Most of us have. You know, I had a quote earlier on the uh, the morning broadcast that was was from Plato, and and Plato had made it clear that uh, that is what a man does with power. The measure of a man is what he does with power. You have the power of choice. If you give up that God-given power of choice to the government and say, you can make the choice for me, just provide me with these benefits, what you have done defines you. It changes you. It changes the way you think. Now, if you give that power to somebody else, and he gets more and more power because everybody else is giving him that power too, that will change him. You will restructure not only your thinking, but society itself by making such choices. And people do not understand how that works, but that is what is going on today in the world. 
Matthew says, let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into a ditch. And that's what you see happening with the world. I don't know if the Democrats are going to win or the Republicans, but neither one is really your salvation. You might last a little longer under the Republicans, but they're not that far from where the Democrats are going. And I just use those as an example. I'm not really political. I'm people-oriented. But people are politically oriented, so I end up having to talk about politics. Because I don't believe the solution is there. I don't believe it's in the police department. But I know it's not in hate. It's not in anger. It's not in violence. Uh, so this theme of loving, like loving the mammon of unrighteousness, has repeated itself throughout the Testament and throughout the ages. Uh, almost 200 years ago, the solution to liberty were well practiced and known, if not understood, by all. This was because 2,000 years ago, Jesus gave us the answer, which was living by love, not force. Many who made it to America could not have survived without submission to his way. And we've told the story of the pilgrims. How the pilgrims had, you know, from each according to his ability to each according to his need. But that isn't that isn't the formula that works. That's the common storehouse. That is socialist. That's not the way it works. Now, in principle, that sounds real good, but you haven't explained how that's enforced. In principle, that is absolutely true. But if you create institutions to enforce that, you are on your way to tyranny. So what you do is, from each according to his ability, or, excuse me, let's reverse that, to each according to his ability, and from each according to the love of his heart. In other words, you, what you make is yours. Then what you do with it, well, that's your choice too. You have the right to decide who you're going to give charity to and who you're not going to give charity to. So that's why I have on that page twice the the quote of the measure of a man is what he does with power. So you have the power to choose what to do with the money and the food that you produce. And you so you how you make that choice will tell us what kind of man you are. And of course that's what you need. If you're organizing the tens, hundreds, and thousands like the church, some of you will be very giving, some of you will be selfish. It will tell us what kind of a man you are. And you will, if you're a rich man and you're very giving, that tells us something. If you're a rich man and not very giving, that tells us something. If you're a poor man and you're not very giving, that will tell us something. If you're a poor man and you're very giving, even though it's not as much as the rich man, but in proportion it is, that will tell us. And Christ gives you that same parable of the widow's might. Who gave more? The rich man who gave half of everything he had or the widow who gave the widow's might? The widow! Because she gave all she had. She really gave of not of her abundance but out of her lack. And that tells you what kind of a woman she is. That tells you what kind of a character and a person they are. That's why Christ created such a system. And it will tell you how much you should help that individual and how much you should care for the needs of that individual because they are a caring person. And you cultivate sacrifice and caring in your society, caring for one another. 
when you all are just taking from one another, taking a bite out of one another through the government, you will degenerate into perfect savages. And some of you will even become zombies. Mindless people wandering about, not caring who they hurt. Who is out there rioting now in America? Zombies. They don't care who they hurt. They burn down, they rob the very stores that serve their community. Now they won't have those stores. They won't have that income. There won't be the taxes for their school. They've destroyed their own. Some of the people who work there are their, their neighbors. They don't care. They're zombies. You just can't shoot them yet. <laughs> but we're giving last-ditch effort. Maybe the police can bring order. Maybe, maybe you can get together and go out and protect your neighbor's store until this quietens down. But even when it does quiet down, then what do you do? How are you going to handle things? How are you going to change the course that is already set for man? Men in their vanity and sloth will imagine that they have a better idea than God about what is righteous and what is not. They can choose this way or that. We see the distinction in the altars of the good shepherd Abel and the impatient plowman of mankind Cain. We see the distinction. And that's what that story is. It's an allegory. Now, maybe there wasn't Abel, there wasn't Cain, but it's the message that you need to get. And the message is, Abel was a shepherd, and I've talked many times about what a shepherd does, how he handles his sheep. The shepherd, you do not force your sheep to walk in a straight line. You do not force your sheep to come. That you, you know, occasionally we would use a border collie, a black and white unit. <laughs> Especially when we had a lot of black faced sheep that did not, they were, that's a farm flock sheep. It doesn't know how to be a rain shop. It's lost its, uh, sheep, it's lost its instincts for coming together. But the white faced sheep that we have now, they pretty much know the, we just moved them just a little bit ago, uh, this morning from one field to the next. Anyway, uh, we moved the sheep this morning, and uh, my granddaughter was here. Actually, a couple of my granddaughters and the grandsons came out, too. We were kind of overstaffed more people than we normally need to move the sheep. And we moved them from one field to another field, and they pretty much just moved themselves. And the dogs didn't do anything. One of them was laying there the whole time. The other one was sitting watching. But they didn't have to do anything because the sheep knew what to do and where to go, and they did what they needed to do. Because they've learned to move together. A couple of them stuck back and wanted to eat some grass. But as soon as the others were almost around the corner, they jumped up and ran after the others as quickly as they could. Because they knew to stick together. They know that if they don't stick together, coyotes, bobcats, bobcats, wolves will eat them up. And over the years, they've learned that if we don't stick together, we die alone. Americans don't know that yet anymore. They used to know that. I remember when the sparrow came ashore and these guys were going to try to make it in the wilderness and they had all these plans and everything. This is after the pilgrims had already landed. They didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know how to survive here. This is wilderness. This is hard. And they were dying and starving in no time. And finally, one of them made it out of the camp and came across one of the pilgrims 
in the woods and told them what was going on and and uh I guess I, I don't remember there's two guys there but somehow they sent for help but another guy ran ahead and got there and before they died because the Indians were just waiting for the opportunity to club them <laughs> and take their stuff and uh and they were pretty weak they couldn't hardly stand and the pilgrims saved these guys uh, I don't know how many survived altogether. There weren't very many. The Sparrow was in a remarkable boat, a small boat for as many people who came. But they came and uh, they almost died, but people dropped what they were doing and were Minutemen for each other and came there and saved them and they survived. And I read uh, stuff by one of the men who who was one of those guys who eventually became a part of the Pilgrim Settlement and eventually paid off his land and was now a free man because he actually paid it off. Another long story. But it was that spirit because when the pilgrims got rid of the idea, the socialist idea they came with, they never, that was one of the things he said in his uh, report of the way things were working, is that when they ended that idea of socialism, nobody went hungry again. And those who ate, they ate because of the charity of others. And people soon found out if you work and you try hard and you end up needing charity, there will be people there that will help you. If you're lazy, selfish, not hardworking, not industrious, don't apply yourself, disrespectful, don't care about others, you're not going to get as much help. But starvation ended anyway. And the poor became stronger. And that man who was dead, dying, poor, ended up owning his own property in America. And I assume his descendants are wandering around somewhere, but they don't even know what he did. Because that's all been removed. Because we've removed ourselves from the truth. So long before Cain clubbed his brother, he coveted what he saw as favor resulting from the sacrifice that his brother was making. That... He was doing better. His brother was doing better because he was a tender of flocks. But what is the difference between the tender of flocks and the plower of Adama? Because that's what he was plowing is Adama. Well, Adama is the same word for man. He was plowing man. <laughs> so what what does that all that mean? Well, he's the one who started the first city state in Lamech and Nimrod. And what are city states? It's where you pool your rights and you give authority to a ruler. And the more you do that, the more you will be under tyranny. But if you take back your responsibilities and work together as individuals with free will offerings, you will get your rights back and you will be free and God will run out and defend you. But if you will sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and work out your salvation with fear and trembling, with love for your neighbor, then you're going to be all alone. So individual individualism is about taking care of yourself and that's a good thing because that's one of the places you have to start it is the belief and the practice that every individual is unique and should be self-reliant well to be totally self-reliant is almost impossible but that is one of the things that you strive for americans have been known for having a strong bent towards individualism because it was founded by people who fought the freedom to practice whatever religion they chose individually and apprised itself 
on rugged individualism. That that was part of the American culture. That is a part of the culture that was here. The progressive socialist, on his way to oppressive communism, thinks he is bringing society together in social justice, collective, with a rhetoric of inclusivity, equity, and intersectionality, which it says it desires unity, but in fact, it sows the seeds of division and the destruction of the individual. Because they do not want an individual responsibility is a threat to the progressive socialist. You know, that's one of the reasons why it's the progressive socialists that mostly want to force vaccination. Because to choose to not get vaccinated is a sign that you may not be for the collective. You want to, you want to, you're willing to risk living on your own. Now, they'll say, well, if we, you don't get, we won't get herd immunity. You do not get herd immunity from vaccines. Vaccines do not give you herd immunity. That's not the way they work. As a matter of fact, they weaken your immune system. They may protect you in the short term from a particular disease, but there are other repercussions, and we, we explain that elsewhere. But if you don't believe that, that's fine. You're probably not listening to anything else that we're saying. <laughs> so, Some will tell you that ethical individualism holds that the primary concern of morality is the individual rather than society as a whole, and that morality primarily concerns individual flourishing rather than one's interaction with others. Well, that's what they will tell you. And that, in some cases, that might be true. But for an individual to be truly ethical, he would have to care about his neighbor individuals as much as he cares about himself. In other words, he has to be as concerned about their rights as he is about his own. This is because ethics describes, and this is a definition, is concerned with what is good for individuals and society. See, the ethical individual cares about society because that's what makes him ethical. If he only cares about himself, he's a selfish pig. And he deserves whatever fate befalls him. If he thinks he can defend off all enemies and be this, you know, black knight in person, well, guess again, it's not going to work that way. Cultural determinism is the idea, and this is a definition, ideas, means, and beliefs, and values people learn as members of a society. So how do you learn the ideas, meanings, and beliefs, and values of society? Somebody was just talking to me today about uh, parents that wanted to make you do things the way you should do them. But they themselves don't do them. They wanted to impose values on you that they did not have. Well, that's not good parenting because the kid is going to learn his values from his parents. He sees his parents take care of his grandparents, and he is more likely to take care of his grandparents. He sees his parents sacrificing that he gets a good education, not sacrificing to send him off to school, but actually sacrificing to get him a good education. He will do the same, possibly for his own children. He will have that tendency. And of course, they tell you that in the Bible. Train up thy sons in the way, 
And he he'll be hard pressed to leave that way as he is older. And that's so you they get their ideas and the meanings and beliefs and values not so much from what you tell them in books, but what they see actually going on. And the truth is when they see you have poor values and negative beliefs and ideas that are destructive, many kids will say, I don't want to have any part of that. And many of you are seeing that the world is going down the road the wrong way, and they want to go the other way. But what is the other way? What does that look like? Well, that's what we tell you about all the time in a thousand different ways on, on, at Preparing You and on Keys to the Kingdom and at HisHolyChurch.org. So... We've actually missed our commercial break, and I could go to it, but I'm going to just keep on going. While the modern church has hijacked terms like religion, church, worship, I mean, I cringe almost everybody. Oh, we're going to have our worship service now. In their worship service, there is no actual service, and there really is no actual worship. Somehow or other, worship has been relegated to praising and singing to God. Now, worship does include harmonizing, but singing is just a outward form of harmonizing. If you can't sing a lick, you can still worship. Worship has to do with harmonizing with with Christ. If you're not harmonizing with Christ and what he said to do and the way he said to do it, you're not worshiping. Christ came to sacrifice himself for others that they might be saved. Is that why you go to church? To sacrifice yourself for others that they might be saved? Or you to go to church to get your ears tickled? To feel good? To be reaffirmed as saved already? Well, that may not be the case. Because Christ said many are going to come and they're going to say this and that and the other thing. And they're going to think they're saved and they actually don't even know Christ. Same as the Pharisees. So what is the definition of religion? Well, again, we have links on the website to take you to an article on religion. Religion is the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. What is your duty to your fellow man? To love your fellow man as you love yourself. To care for your fellow man. To feed the poor. To take care of the needy of your society in a way that strengthens them. But also, what is your duty to God? You Then you have to do that in a righteous way, without coveting your neighbor's goods, without making contracts with unbelievers, without waiving your rights to choose. See, there's lots of, you know, to perform your duty to God and your fellow man, you have to stay within the parameters that God has laid down. So what is the church? The church comes from a word, ecclesia, is translated the word ecclesia is translated into the word church. That was the church in the wilderness. That was the Levites, because they were the ones called out. And there was the church that established by Christ, where he called out apostles to be in the world, but not of the world. He's telling you all these things. It's not what you're used to hearing, so you think, oh, like, I don't know what I'm talking about. But you do, even though what I'm talking about is provable from what Christ actually said. So you don't know what religion is. You don't know what church is. You don't know what worshiping is. You don't know what Seth and Abel were doing, what Cain and Lamech were doing, what these altars were for. 
Well, there are other words that they also have altered. Republic, democracy. Most of what people describe as a republic is actually simply an indirect democracy. A republic is where you're free from things public and you cannot remain free from things public if you will not do things the way Christ said because Christ's way is the only way. And if you're depending on men who exercise authority to provide you with benefits and protection and guarantees in this life, then then you're not following Christ because he said it was not to be that way with you. We also see that Jordan Peterson claims that French intellectuals in particular, so they're not the only ones, just pulled off a sleight of hand and transformed Marxism, communist Marxism, into postmodern identity politics. The moral obligation of the moderate leftists is what? What does that mean? Hobbesian battleground of identity groups. They do not communicate with one another because they can't. All there is is a struggle for power. And if you're in the predator group, which means you're an oppressor, then you better look out because you're not exactly welcome. But the reality is, if you're able to Make people think that you're a progressive socialist. When you do get into power, you can become a Stalin or a Mao, which is usually the course or a Popot, or there's lots of people on a smaller level that do the same thing. The true oppressors are the socialists. Not at first, but eventually they get around to it. Social democracy is a socialist system of government achieved by a democratic means. And socialism is a political and economic theory of social organization that advocates that the means of production, distribution, and exchange should be owned or regulated by the community, not by the individual as a whole, by the community. That is the antithesis of Christ. That is the antithesis of what made America great. America provided for the needy of society through faith, hope, and charity. Recently, I had a conversation with somebody from Austria, and he said that he hates our charity. Our charity is slavery. Why? Because he can't do whatever he wants and get you to give him charity. That's that's right. See, like... You know, an unwed mother, she can keep whoring around and get a check. As a matter of fact, if she has another baby, she'll get a bigger check. If she gets married, she'll stop getting her checks. So they don't want a man in the house. They want a woman having pregnant by multiple people. And she becomes a breeder. She's still a human resource. She's a breeder. And they're growing up people. And... They give her a check. The more she does things outside of the patterns of what we call morality for thousands of years, the more money the government will give her. And, of course, that is why 50% of the murders, or at least 44 to 50% of the murders, uh, percent of the murders in the United States are black men murdering other men. 97% of those they murder are other black men. So the 
If you think Black Lives Matter, you need to do something about that. It is absolutely clear that the reason that those black men are killing other black men is because of lack of two-parent families. Because they weren't doing that when 60% of the families or 75% of the families or 80% or 97% of the families were two-parent families. When they were that way, they weren't killing everybody. They weren't killing each other. It's when they changed to 75% or more being single-parent families, they began to have this crime and murder and mayhem issue and this looting issue because they don't have strong fathers in the family. And they're swept away by their peer pressure and crowds. And they don't get a moral standard in the public school that teaches them to do what's right. So, because you don't learn it in school. What did we say? How, how does one obtain that uh, cultural, moral standing? Uh, the ideas, meanings, beliefs, and values. That's what you get from home. And, and the first value you, you get when you send your kids off to pu- public school is that you're too stupid to teach your child first, second, third grade. Once you've convinced them that you're too stupid to do that, and if... And, and if you're unable to do it, the school will convince them because they'll teach them new math and you won't be able to help them because you won't know what new math is. You'll show them how do you do math, but that is, the teacher will say that's not right. And then your parents just stop teaching. I, this, these are real things. I hear this all the time from people. So we have links to articles on Polybius where he prophesied the process of degeneration of the people. You know, a hundred years before the first Caesar rose up, he was telling you what was going to happen. You were going to depend for uh, on the livelihood of others for your own livelihood and depend upon the property of others for your own benefits. And you would be degenerated into perfect savages. He explains all that. And it's it's just the way it is. And if you're willing to see it, you'll see it. But if you want to keep taking the benefits for free at the expense of your neighbor, then you may not see it. When men begin to become slothful in the taking back that responsibility of righteousness and love for your neighbor and caring about his rights, or become just slothful and greedy for gain, because you become avarice and and want that gain at the expense of your neighbor in society you will begin to change and society will begin to change and the structure of society will begin to change. And we'll take you, th- we'll show you the psychology, the crowd psychology of that eventually. In 1898, Rudolf Steiner uh, wrote a letter to an individualist anarchist. And I'm not against anarchy, but a lot of people find, define it in strange ways. Uh, I'm, I'm for more. Christ was an anarchist. Because he said, you weren't to be like the governments of the Gentiles who exercised authority one over the other. That's anarchy. You don't have an arche. Anarche. No arche. Arche is rulers. Nobody else is making laws for you and rules for you. The laws are already made. Don't kill. Don't covet. Don't uh, take steal from your neighbor. Don't uh, adulterate your body. Don't adulterate your family. All these things are already there. Don't adulterate your food supply. Don't, you know, 
urinate in, the, in somebody else's drinking water. That's adulteration. That's also maybe damaging them. But anyway, Rudolf Steiner said at the final moment, when social democracy draws its consequences, the state will put its canon to work. The representatives of authority will always reach for measures of force in the end. So in a nation of individuals, every man can do what is right in his own eyes, but there needs to be a united group of ethical or righteous individuals, united how? United through faith, hope, and charity. Or your freedom will not stand. You may be setting an example for others who don't have that written in their hearts. you also be creating a barricade where they will not go over that barricade. We see these people stopping the rioters, stopping the looting, saying stopping the throwing of bricks. And they're trying to prevent this insanity that is destroying their own neighborhoods. The question is, what unites them and who's righteous? This is central to the union of a free society. It's how you become that union. The natural man has an individual power of choice divided equally amongst men. It is said that we are endowed by our Creator with those inalienable rights and, uh, you know, the right to pursue happiness, etc. We are also endowed by our Creator with some of the rights we may possess and enjoy, but also some of the responsibilities and debt may also be ours. And if you do not want the responsibility, you may not have entitlement to those rights. That's just the way it works. And we need to turn around from where we've been going. So what did Jesus say about social justice? Learn to be good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bringing justice to the fatherless and please the widow's cause. That's what we're supposed to be doing. That's Isaiah 117. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly. With our Lord, Micah, one of those minor prophets. This is where we need to be going. We need to be doing this. We don't hire government to do it because government exercises authority. We do it. This is what churches should be doing. Most churches just send you to the men who exercise authority one over the other to get your social welfare. Absolutely opposite. That's not going to bring you together as a society. So you you need to turn around your thinking and think a different way. I'm telling you that different way, and a lot of people are going to say, oh, yeah, but I don't think so. Well, anyway, Alexis de Tocqueville did an extensive survey of America to find out the secret of its success. Because he couldn't believe its success. He was coming out of Europe. It was just astounding, its success. He believed that It was not only the willingness of Americans to sacrifice their sweat and blood, their toil, their wealth, for the welfare of others, 
that made them great. But he knew that as Americans strayed from private and personal sacrifice, charity, in the world of government, sponsored welfare, because that's what happens. We've moved from taking care of one another to charity to government-sponsored welfare, and government is doing it by force. You see, in the kingdom of God, we do take care of the needy by government-sponsored welfare. But you're the government. And they're not. We're not the government. You're the government. And you provide as you so choose through free will offerings. This is what Israel did. This is what the early church did. But it's not what you're doing now. So you need to turn around and go back the other way. And so we're all, all the way down to a title of legal charity. What's the difference between legal charity and true charity? Quite a bit. The difference between freedom and bondage. But we'll have to continue this at another time. And so, for right now, you're just going to have to wait till next week. So, God bless. See us on the network. Until then, God bless. And peace be upon your house. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www dot his holy church dot net